0: Commutify presents Between the Lines with Andy Keaton. Each week, we explore the challenging issues transportation demand management professionals face on their journey to transition commuters from driving alone to more sustainable, shared and active commuting habits. Be sure to subscribe to hear next week's episode and check out our exclusive commuter playlists on Spotify.
1: This is Between the Lines with Andy Keaton.
0: Hi, everyone, and welcome aboard to the Between the Lines podcast. I'm Andy Keaton, and today we are joined by Peter Deppi. Peter is the co-founder and CEO of Commute, a universal charging network for micromobility, from supporting rights for student athletes versus the NCAA. A great story. You should ask him off, 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 uh, off the podcast, but a really good story, um, to challenging the status quo within urban mobility in a land built for cars. Peter's goals are to change the world for the better in his own unique ways. He's a recent Kettering University graduate and founded Commute together with a fellow KU grad, Scott Spittler in 2018 during the rise, um, the early rise of micromobility. So we're excited to talk to you today. Peter, thanks for being on.
1: Awesome, Andy, thanks for having me. Great to be here.
0: And I think this is a really interesting thing. I mean, we'll start off, I think, I don't know if everyone knows what Commute is, we I think I first got um, introduced to commute at like a startup pitch uh, competition for you know clean tech and I thought this was such an interesting idea Can you just tell um, our user or our, our listeners um, what commute is what is it that you offer?
1: Yeah so jumping in uh, in, in one sentence you can, We're we're the Tesla supercharging network, but for anything smaller than a car. So the universal charging network for micromobility.
0: Nice. I like that. And if you're not watching, which once again, you should always try to jump on our YouTube channel and watch it. Um, But you might be hearing some tinkering in the background. And that's because for the first time, we actually have someone in their office. And Peter is at the... uh, Is this where you actually are building these systems you're at your actual like manufacturing center right now
1: yep you're correct we're in uh, the flint hq today and you can again if you're watching the video version you can see uh it's been a a crazy few weeks and we probably need to clean up a little bit from those late (laughs) nights and pizza boxes and whatever else is around here but uh it's a crazy fun time so if you hear a saw in the background uh that's that's probably uh on my side (laughs)
0: That's all good. I mean, I, I'm excited to talk to someone who's not sitting just uh, at a desk uh, in their home office like me. Um, we're getting back to actually being, uh, you know, into the workplace. This is really exciting. Um, so let's, you know, let, let's frame this conversation. Uh, today, we're really talking about why universal micro mobility charging will help save the planet. You gave us an, a great overview of what Commute does. But, you know, besides like outside of commute, the idea of having a universal charger for micromobility, this whole charging system is really exciting to me. Let's take a step back and and talk about why it's important. So why does infrastructure have such an important uh, place in the future adoption of micromobility? And maybe more importantly, why is it? or how has this lack of good infrastructure, good charging infrastructure so far impacted the adoption of micromobility?
1: Yeah, no, great, great point. And maybe we should back up and, and maybe touch on what what in cases or what does it take to make, you know, quote unquote, a universal charging solution for micromobility? Uh, as, you know, lately we've seen a lot of uh, talk out there from uh, others saying that, you know, there's this, universal but they're missing quite a few pieces that really makes it you know actually universal um so first and foremost uh micromobility is kind of a a wild west of you if you will for standards so you know you have a wheelchair that charges at maybe 24 volts a scooter that charges at you know 42 volts or 56 and then you got e-bikes that maybe go up to 72 um and all of the you know there's there's charging solutions out there that you know Pick and choose one voltage. Well, uh, how can you claim to be universal if you can only charge at one voltage? Uh, I yet to see how, how that's universal. Uh, the other thing is a is a connection point. So for you know for other ones that are you know dangling charging cables, you got to plug in. It only fits that one charge port or barrel jack or whatever kind of connector that one vehicle has. Uh, again, not really universal. Um, and then on the charging station, all ports need to be physically the same, all the same height, everything to have that standard to be able to work, again, as a, ch- a broader charging network, um, not only with um, you know multiple form factors, but also between uh, shared fleet vehicles like a, you know, a bird or a lime or a spin uh, or like a link or et cetera. Um, and then also personally owned vehicles as well. Mm-hmm. Again, it needs to be agnostic to all of these different partners, uh, stakeholders. Otherwise, you're really missing uh, a lot of the potential adoption um, if you're if you're ex- excluding uh, a certain party from being able to use your infrastructure. So that's what really, you know, what does it take to be universal? You need to serve the community and all of the different needs of form factors that are needed as opposed to saying, all right, I'm putting in a, a station that fits this one bike or this one scooter. Uh, It's uh, not really universal.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And that's, uh, I think it, I'll just add in one thing here. I think this is a nice technical conversation. A lot of our listeners might not know what all of these technical, you know, kind of uh, electrical engineering, if you may, if you will, kind of terms might mean, but it it makes sense if you kind of take a step back. You might know of, you know, let's say something like, I I don't know, uh, an appliance or a hairdryer plugs in at a different voltage than like, (laughs) a uh, cell phone charger, but you can plug them into the same wall. If you had to plug in different things into different walls um, or your cell phone charger had a different plug than your uh, your computer versus your, you know, straightening iron, you wouldn't be able to use all of those in the same place. I'm just throwing out three things, the first three things I could think of with a plug. Yeah. Um, same thing happens for micromobility. So that's a cool idea. You can actually now plug in anything, regardless of its voltage, regardless of its um, connector, to be able to charge at Once is that what you're saying?
1: Yep, that, that's exactly it. And you know, infrastructure, you know, today could be in our case charging infrastructure, um, but in a lot of cases, you know, there's infrastructure is a very broad term. It could also mean uh, protected bike lanes, so that way you feel safe during uh, your while you're traveling on that bike, scooter, wheelchair. Uh, or maybe the delivery robots taking a delivery. Mm. Uh, it all needs to have not only the correct parking infrastructure, like what we specialize in, but also I know there's a lot of people fighting for protected bike lanes and really pushing forward on that. So that way, during your trip, you're also you know safe and feel right. um, like this is a place that where you're meant to be. Um, and then further, you know, that's really how you drive adoption: is you have the right infrastructure for the entire trip and for that vehicle on both end and start or the end point and starting point. And that's really how you have a great system that will, you know, people will actually use.
0: <laughs> sure. So this is the key piece is we've got the technology in place and we've talked in other episodes about the importance of this technology, but just having the technology is not quite enough. I mean, people are familiar with, uh, you know, the the idea that if I were to buy, let's say an electric vehicle, I might not have enough range, this range anxiety. So I need to have charging stations all over. The same thing exists for micromobility, right? That's what you're saying is we need to have good charging everywhere. We also need to have good bike lanes and we need to have all this in place. So infrastructure, once you have the technology, infrastructure is that next key point that has to layer in for people to adopt it. Exactly. So I think... I think then let let's get into this this idea then of of actual universal charging. Can you tell me a bit like why is this particular piece of the infrastructure puzzle so important to increasing adoption? Um and, and what kind of benefits to you know the system or to a user can comes from having a system like commute in place?
1: Yeah. So our biggest sort of mantra or model here. Is when we put in, you know, infrastructure. In our case, we want that community to take that infrastructure and be able to utilize it in a way that works for them. So, again, the universal aspect of being able to park and charge. In our case, you know, again, going through the list: e-scooters, e-bikes, pedal bikes, even cargo bikes, delivery robots, electric skateboards, uh, wheelchairs. I don't know if I mentioned that already. Um, get anything smaller than a car all from the same place it gives that space more utility in that square footage for the community to choose that form factor that's correct for their trip so our whole goal again is to take allow people to choose a form of transportation or mobility that's other than the default uh, single occupancy vehicle that they're you know always choosing because it's the de facto mode that's easy to fall back on. But if you give them a you know set of infrastructure that allows them to have multiple options all in one place, it allows them to select, okay, maybe I'm getting groceries today. I'm gonna go zip down to the Whole Foods or whatever grocery store you go to, and there's a cargo bike right here. Well I might as well take it because there's a you know and maybe in our case a commute hub at my apartment complex and there's a commute hub at the Whole Foods. Makes a lot of sense and I can you know have both the end and start um you know have the parking and security for that vehicle and it's super easy available and accessible for me um to do so and I can feel good about it because it's a cargo bike super sustainable um and again you're you're out in the open so you don't have to worry about I guess in the COVID days as we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel being trapped in a in a in a bus or in a train uh to get somewhere
0: sure I think that's uh this is I, I really like having these conversations on on this podcast because I I learn something new every day. But and I think every time too. Man, this would make my life so much better. Um <laughs> right outside my apartment building here in Montreal, there's a great bike share system here and there's a great bike share um hub right outside. Um but I really like the idea of being able to have different types of vehicles in that that hub because the, the bikes aren't built for me to go to, you know, the grocery store and put mm-hmm. a few bags in it. Um, or maybe I want to hop on a scooter because I'm feeling, I don't know, I'm feeling cool today yeah. and I want to use a scooter <laughs> instead of a bike. Um, or I want to go on a, on a bike ride. So I want a, a bike, or I want to go long distance. So I want an e-bike. That's a cool idea. So having this universal system can really unlock the choice for you that you want to make. I think that's really interesting. So, one of the other things then I think that's interesting here to talk about is how does this type of infrastructure, this universal charging for micromobility, how does that impact both owned systems, right? I own my own e bike versus shared micromobility. I rent my e bike from a bike share system or I use a bird or a lime or, you know, the, the ones people would know about is this does this help both of those systems and and how can you like how does it support each of those
1: sure so uh, we'll start over on the, the shared side um, so for any ride share that's out there um, you know again just going back to our example our hubs can show up within that rider app so you can see you know available parking near you and um, you know where they're at if they're convenient or not that ride share usually incentivizes riders to bring them back to a charging hub uh, because not only does it make it um, secure and charged and ready for the next rider, it helps lower operation costs um, for that operator uh, of the shared fleet. So very clean, easy system. Um, There's really no extra steps to use, I guess, for again, uh, our charging hub. I mean, you would scan the QR code of the vehicle it unlocks the vehicle just like it normally would the hub also releases the vehicle and then you go on your way um, and then you can choose to return it to a hub or you can choose to you know rely on the dockless um, solution so it's kind of a hybrid solution if you will um, to park responsibly um, somewhere where that makes sense or again you know park back at a hub so for the shared fleet side lowers operation costs for the operator, keeps it secure, hopefully less dinged up for the riders. So that way, you know, Mm -hmm. you're not hopping on a scooter that's like half fallen apart. Uh, and then it's also fully charged. So it's more reliable for the rider, uh, flipping over to the personally owned side. Um, I mean, I used to ride a scooter to and from work when I lived a little bit closer to commute, um, every day. And, you know, before we had hubs out in Flint, you know, where where do you park your scooter uh, at the, when you're at work? Uh, you can you know like I did awkwardly bring it si- inside the co-working space and up the elevator with me, which you know got some weird faces and probably some frowns and like oh I don't know if you can really have that in here. Um, but then when you had a hub outside, it's like I get to work, toss it in up front, and then you're good to go until nice. you're done for the day and just walk outside, grab your scooter, and you know head back home. So lot of benefits of you know not awkwardly taking it inside work inside the coffee shop uh, inside your apartment Uh, classroom I actually had to take a scooter into the classroom uh, when I was at Kettering back in the day so again you you get to miss out on all those awkward situations if you have you know available infrastructure for parking and charging your vehicle like you know should be should be happening Um, so that's I would say the differences between you know how we help both I'd say relatively they're all pretty you know similar we help parking and charging, um, and then solving maybe some pain points on operation costs as on the side of shared.
0: Interesting. I like that. I like that story because I think, um, yeah, I think we could, we could all imagine having to take your, um, e-bike inside. Cause you don't have a good place to charge it. I mean, the scooter, at least slightly smaller. Yeah. Um, I know like, uh, at our, at our commutify office in Boulder, um, some folks have some new nice e-bikes and oh, awesome. um, until recently they had to take them inside the building because there wasn't good secure, you know, parking outside. But this, this really adds a security plus it charges it for you. I mean, wouldn't I yeah. think that's cool. So can we talk about like a, a real world example here? Um, how is a, a city looking to use this kind of system maybe with the shared um, operators in it?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I actually had, a recent call actually yesterday uh with a major city here in Michigan and you know they have right now two major rideshare operators that everyone you know really knows about um and this city you know came to us um and said you know we want one infrastructure that we put in to be agnostic to the vendor that we have currently in you know our our community um they're really against purchasing infrastructure to have it only work for, you know, one operator or one vendor for that vendor or operator to leave the next year. And now that city is stuck Ah. with the bill and all the structure they just put in. So it's really, and you know, you see this all the time with uh, mainly I would say docked bike shares where the city will spend millions of dollars on putting stations in. Although I would say docked bikes um, usually are there pretty reliably um you know throughout because the city somewhat owns it in a way Um, but they put in all that infrastructure in the case of you know scooters sometimes and they leave that city and there's infrastructure everywhere um and then taking that a step further um this city said you know when we put in infrastructure we want it to serve more people and have more utility so we don't want it just for the rideshare operators we want it for personally owned as well Um, So, again, that's where we fit in because we we do the integration, you know, with the uh, shared fleets. And then we have our own, you know, mobile app that you can download and see hubs for your personally owned vehicles near you. So you have both sides of it. And again, you can think of it as a Tesla supercharging network, a charge point, um, but for anything smaller than a car, because in in the case of car chargers, they don't care if you're a rideshare car or a personally owned car. Sure. There shouldn't be a difference. And, you know, there isn't on the the EV side, but in the case of micromobility, why do we have, you know, docked bikes that fit in a station that only works with their bikes and it takes up so much space? That space could be used so much better if it was able to serve more people by providing more utility through acceptance of different form factors as well as the shared and owned sides. Um, So that's, that's what we see in, you know, we've launched in several cities here in Michigan and across the U.S., and It makes a lot of sense to have extra utility and also infrastructure that's agnostic so that way when a city buys infrastructure and puts it in it's not just like a one-year deal you know our infrastructure will stay there for many years and serve many purposes with many different people and that's really what um infrastructure should be especially when a city or private property is buying it and installing it it should have a longer lifespan than one year
0: sure I think that that answers a, a key uh, question or concern that I'm sure cities and, and private companies or real estate um, would have when bringing in a, a, a micromobility solution is, um, what if this company goes out of business or they mm-hmm. leave or whatever? Am I stuck with this infrastructure? Um, I think that that's, that's a really interesting challenge that uh, this kind of solution is solving. I also like the idea that anything can park at the same spot. Like if there's two bike share systems and a scooter um, and my personal vehicles, you know, in the same uh, city, I take one and I say, I'm like, oh, I know there's a charging station over here. And I go and it's, oh no, that's for the other bike share system, right? Or that's for the scooters. And Mm -hmm. then I'm like, okay, I need to pull up my app and be like, where do I take this one again? This one goes here, (laughs) this other one goes here. Just make them all in the same spot. I mean, exactly. And I think that's a great, it's, it's a genius idea. I don't know why. Once again, these, these ideas seem so straightforward. Um, it, I think it's great. So we talked a little bit about the public side on a kind of a private side. What kind of benefits could a you know, commercial real estate or an employer or someone kind of get from implementing a similar type of system at their location?
1: Yeah, no, great point. And one one area that maybe we'll touch on is like corporate campuses, for example. That's a great private location that, yeah, you know, we work with various corporate campuses not only for um, you know, employee commuting purposes, but also when they're on the campus and maybe it's a fairly large campus to get from building to building. And in those cases, maybe they're pulling back and having a smaller um Shuttle program, but now they're implementing micromobility for their employees that are one to three miles away, where you know a scooter or a bike um, makes perfect sense for those employees not only get to and from work, but also you know everyone can benefit and enjoy it when they're going from building to building. Where again, micromobility's sweet spot is it's, it's too too far to walk, but it doesn't make sense yeah. to drive or hop on a bus. Um, yeah. That's where obviously scooters and bikes shine the most. Um, so that's. That's one area, and I mean you can apply the same thing to like our example uh, earlier with an apartment complex. You know, maybe you have a, a hub or a station um, at your apartment complex, and then nearby at a grocery store or the coffee shop or insert whatever business that you go to regularly has another hub. You got a great connection point that you can just go go down to your parking lot, hop on a bike, scooter, or whatever form factor you want to choose that day, um, and then go on your way and do your, uh, do your daily tasks or routine, and then, you know, come back always to a safe place where you have parking and charging available. And it's kind of out of sight, out of mind, and you don't have to really think, overthink it.
0: So, okay. So I'm listening to this and I say, okay, I really want to do something like this. This seems great. What kind of work do I have to put in as a city or as a real estate, uh, developer or a company or whoever it is? to get some sort of universal charger in place. Do, do, can I use similar infrastructure I already have? Do I have to like tear out the road and put in new electrical lines? Like what, what do I need to do to get started?
1: Yeah, so I guess the, the great benefit of micromobility is, you know, you really don't need to go out and in the case of car chargers, you know do a lot of work uh, electrically to power, you know, uh, a supercharger or whatever, uh, you know, 100 kilowatt uh, charger. Um, that's uh, a lot of in- infrastructure that's needed to be put in to support that. In the case of micro mobility, these vehicles are so small and micro that, you know, the power draw that they need is like basically nothing. It's like a laptop or even smaller in some cases. So, uh, um, you know, there's there's charging hubs, I guess um that have you know a variety of different power sources um ours you can either plug into a standard wall outlet or if you want to bolt it to the ground and route power underground and directly into the hub you can do so Um, there's others that are solar powered there's others that are battery powered and then you just like swap out a giant battery um there's really the great thing about micromobility and and its power requirements it's so small it fits just about anywhere and you know we have cases where we're indoors and outdoors and wow. again it fits you know micro mobility is great because it's micro and it fits everywhere and it allows you to better take advantage of those small little trips so um yeah the utility of micro mobility is just amazing
0: i think that's i mean that's a, a first of all a, a great pitch for micro mobility outside of the the charging infrastructure yeah it, the i like the, to think of it that way that's that's smart um evs do require a lot of power to get them charged up but micro I didn't know that as small as like a laptop. That's, that's pretty interesting. So I think what this, this conversation has kind of reminded me and hopefully our, our, our viewers and listeners as well as we've talked a lot about the technologies and the solutions in place, but there's more to it. It's a complete kind of system you have to put in place to really drive adoption of, you know, TDM and, and micro mobility and whatever else it might be. Um, We've talked about a fair amount of different things here. Um, some of it has gotten somewhat technical, some less so, but just so everyone can kind of leave the conversation with the point that is most important here, I need to remember one thing. In a couple of sentences, kind of in your from, from your own uh, perspective, why will universal mobility charging help save the planet?
1: So universal micromobility charging infrastructure will save the planet really because again of of one main thing it allows that community to choose the form factor that's right for them and ultimately that's how you get adoption as opposed to force feeding them one form factor that's not right for them
0: i love it short succinct (laughs) just like micromobility fitted into the right amount of space that was great um this has been a really great conversation to everyone listening, thanks for joining us again today. Um, make sure you hit that subscribe button, like, subscribe, comment—you know, do all of the above um, wherever you're listening to your podcast: Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, um, or whatever streaming service you like to use. And today, more than ever, you really need to check out the video on YouTube. You really have to see what's behind Peter. I've been watching behind him. A lot of activity going on. I um, can't wait till one day I, I'm gonna. I'll visit you one day, Peter, because I want to oh, yeah. take a look at this. Uh, I want to take a look at this this facility. This is pretty cool. Um, Come out the actually, <laughs> Thank you. I mean, actually, where things are getting built, there's stuff happening. It's super exciting. So join in on the on the YouTube video and watch this conversation and future ones, and keep up uh, with the episodes by joining our uh, email list at Between the Lines.io. So a great conversation today, Peter, and we like to end it off every episode with a little bit of fun. We're building this music playlist as our listeners know on Spotify. Some of us aren't lucky enough to have the, the 10 minute, you know, electric scooter commute into, uh, into work. We need to fill the time with something else. Um, is there any song you'd like to add to the, to that playlist?
1: Yeah, so just lately, for whatever reason, I've been listening to Feel It Still by Portugal The Man, and I, I, it's just kind of an upbeat, kind of happy, positive kind of song that's just kind of pressing forward, and it reminds me a lot of mobility in a few ways, so that's why I picked it.
0: <laughs> nice. I like it. I love this, I love this uh, playlist. It's so eclectic. We've got songs from all over the world, different types of songs. This is a really good one, a great addition. Awesome. Um, Peter, thanks for joining me today. Everyone, thanks for listening. It's been a really great episode.
1: Awesome. Andy, thanks for having me.
0: All right, everyone. We'll see you next time.
1: Thanks for joining us on this week's episode of Between the Lines with Andy Keaton. Be sure to subscribe to hear next week's episode and check out our exclusive commuter playlists on Spotify.